It's worth knowing what's really going on. This is the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the soft launch of Go Atlanta. I'm AJC Arts and Entertainment Editor Shane Harrison, and welcome to Go Atlanta, the new podcast from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution that will introduce you to the most interesting people, places, and things to do in and around Atlanta. And we'll get you ready for the weekend. I'm food, dining, and living editor Lagaya Figueres, and I'm going to tell you which restaurant on the Beltline to hit up before it closes forever. I'm AJC Entertainment reporter Rodney Ho. Florence Welch of Florence and the Machine joins me to talk about Dance Fever ahead of her tour date in Atlanta. If you're listening to this podcast on AJC.com, please take a moment to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. This is a special soft launch edition of the new Go Atlanta podcast. Beginning on September 29th, LaGaia, Rodney, and I will drop new episodes every Thursday to keep you in the loop on all the great things that Atlanta has to offer, whether it involves planning an outing or just giving you something to talk about with family and friends. And we're going to start out with some hot topics. One of the hottest things that happened this week uh, was the announcement that uh, Star Bar may be going away in Little Five Points. And you know, a lot of people think it's been there forever. It's really only been there since the very early 90s. But, I mean, it's become such an iconic place. Um, I, so many people have great memories there. I've seen some great shows there. But I, as, as I understand it, there's a developer that wants to uh, redo it, right? Yeah, that's right. So so this mixed-use development can replace, you know, a star. Um, Is everything mixed-use now? That seems to be I the know, only phrase we ever hear. That's the way, I think, at this point. Yeah, but, I mean, so it faces demolition, essentially. The building faces demolition. Right. Now, um, there's a couple questions here. First of all, whatever happens, will Starbar stick around? Will it right. have another iteration? Answer, we don't know. Um, I think the bigger question, though, or the gripe, I would say, when we when I look at especially, you know, reactions on social media or whatnot, is the idea of, oh, my gosh, Atlanta, why? It's a cool thing. Why do we have to knock down do away with the, you know, demolish the old um, in order to bring in, you know, something else. Why do we have to do that? And I think that that's the gripe. Although, you know, on the flip side, a lot of folks saying, well, you're sitting here moaning and groaning about that bar. When's the last time you went there? Right. Which is fair, too. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, it's like I was thinking about that. And it, it has been a little while since I've been to Star Bar. It was probably during a little Five Points Halloween parade, I would imagine. You know, they always have... 
they always used to have like shows outside, inside, uh, all that. And yeah, I used to go a lot more back in the days when there were more places to see live music in Little Five Points. That's the thing. I mean, there used to be a lot more. The point was right across the street. And I used to go there all the time in the uh, early 90s. There were some great shows there. But, you know, slowly it seems that there are fewer and fewer places to see live music in Little Five Points. I mean, Variety Playhouse is still there. But the little clubs have sort of disappeared, it seems. And you can go drink, but <laughs> seeing a live band, that's a different story. Some of those are before, you know, my time here in Atlanta. Yeah. I mean, I think that the the vibe in Little Five Points is certainly still there. But, yeah, yeah as far as, like, um, you know, the breath of things to do perhaps there is is, is changing a little yeah. bit. Now, did you see, though, that they there's a petition opposing the redevelopment? Oh, yeah. Like 3,000-plus people have now signed it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I, you know, by the way, what's the status of that Zestos that was over there right right nearby? You know what's going Sisters. on there? That, they Wait, closed. that closed. Oh, yeah, that, yeah, that closed. Yeah. Right, yeah. but what, what's in its place? Anything? or? Hmm. I, I do know. not know. I, I'd have to go back and check yeah, on I that. I can't keep up. I have recently, I guess. Yeah, you, you know, I think it's interesting because the, the developer on this one is 3rd and Urban, and they did adaptive reuse projects. The other ones, Westside Paper, which is happening now. Um, Armor Yards, which I think has been kind of cool, at least in the, you know, beverage right. and food side of things over there. We've got like um, Fox Brothers. Um, what um, Adaptive East reuse Pole. is like using the same building, but redoing it. Yes. Like, like Pond City Market type of thing. Well, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So they, I mean, they've got experience, but the point is, you know, like, are, do we really have to tear down entirely? So, yeah. so. I, yeah. I mean, that, that building, I don't know, you know, how they could really reuse that building and to do the things that it sounds like they would want to do. Right. It's funny. Somebody shared on Facebook, a friend of mine shared a, a photo of what was in that building before where Starboy is. It used to be a bank. It was a bank. Yeah. Right. yeah. It's interesting because there's like a vault still there. And so, <laughs> so yeah, they, they actually adaptive use of, of the, the vault that's already there. Um, so it's been, you know, the I, building itself is really structurally beautiful. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I like it because it's not, you know, just uh, 90 degree angles everywhere. Yeah. It's pretty cool. So, yeah. yeah, so we'll see what happens. But, you know, it's like there is I feel a little bit bad for, for this because you, you we see this happening in five points now. But Inman Park, it happened to Old Fourth Ward. I mean, all of those little clusters, it's just it's I, I don't know yeah. if it's well, just, and then there's that whole the thing on Ponce with right eight, where eight we talked just about closed. this summer, right? They're coming in there to do probably a mixed use development there as well, I would imagine. And of course, Midtown they just tore down what Einstein's and Joe, Joe's on Jupiter. That that little space on Jupiter's yeah. already been yeah. torn down as well. Yeah, I mean it's it's sad. It, it it feels like you're losing some character that you know that was built into these places that they you know they. They gain that over time, and who knows? You know, maybe some of these developments will will do the same thing. But you know, in the moment, it's hard to really you know get behind tearing things down that have so many memories attached. Yeah, I mean, Starbar has a lot of history there. It's like they, yeah, I remember the days when they would do the Bubble Palooza thing, the Redneck Underground, and it was just really cool. It's it you know, was like a fun community kind of atmosphere. I mean, it was called the Star Community Bar. So it really had that feeling about it. And I mean, that's changed a bit over the years, but still, 
you hate to see things just go away like that. And uh, Right. But, I mean, all the decisions haven't been made, so let's no. just wait and see, right? Yeah. That's just the thing that everyone is talking about, which, of course, we're going to talk about it, too. That's right. <laughs> and speaking of things that are being torn down. Um, yeah, right up the street on Briarcliff, uh, there's a, the, the, it's a space that nobody really visited very much, because, but, it, but you'll see it on Stranger Things. It's the Hawkins Lab laboratory where they did all sorts of weird experiments in this fictional world of Stranger Things. Right. It's a very scary-looking building right off Briarcliff that Emery has owned for the past, you know, 20 plus years and it had formerly been a mental institution huh. so uh, for from like 1965 to 1997 so it has that institutional 60s look to it which is probably why stranger things liked it so right. much and i guess at the point that they came in and shot they weren't emory wasn't really using it and i guess emory decided it's it's like a, the space is like a mile away from their main campus mm -hmm. they weren't really using it very much so they decided just uh, they're, they're in the midst of leasing it to a senior yeah, another popular thing, a senior uh, living community. So right. it's going to end up becoming, you know, that, that building would just be torn down. Yeah, it's interesting because before you, you said what it used to be, I wasn't sure where it was, but now I know exactly it's where it is. a little north of Callenwald. Yeah, exactly. I, it's like there's a gate in front, I think. Yeah, um, it's, it's not pleasant looking now. Hopefully they'll make <laughs> the senior living you know, community a little more. But they're, they're yeah. not tearing it down. They're just... No, they are tearing. No, oh, they're tearing okay. it down. So they're tearing it down, yeah. and it's they're building a new structure that's going to serve right. for assisted living. Right on the mm. same land, there's a Candler Mansion, which uh, Asa Candler Jr. used to live in. That that's going to be repurposed. They're yeah. going to reuse it, and so they're going to modernize it. I think it's really fallen apart over the years. Yeah, I mean, there's, it's a really a lot. Of, there's a lot of residential area around it. Yes. I think it's not really much. You know, it's it's not a a businessy kind of area. Although Yeah, and I guess Emory just doesn't need it. Yeah. Right at the moment. It's really not that far from uh from Ponce, actually. Not at all, no. Right near Ponce and um and Briarcliff. Yeah. At Briarcliff and Moreland where they change names there, sort of. <laughs> but yeah, I, I hadn't thought about that place in a while because I guess I haven't been by there. I used to go by there a lot more because I used to live not too far from there. But hmm. Well that's cool. I'll have to look for that in Stranger Things. I don't think I ever noticed it. No, it's 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 there in especially seasons one and four. Yeah, yeah, okay. it's, it's a flat usually in flashbacks cool. with Matthew Modine. <laughs> well, well, go buy it now if you want to uh, check it out because I guess it won't be there long. Nope. <laughs> and uh, speaking of things that are closing, um, we just recently talked about um, celebrity restaurants that are closing and. Funny that we we mentioned that you know it doesn't seem to affect local celebrities as much, but but now it has. Now it has. We're just full of happy news. This <laughs> this segment, aren't it's we? It's all sad. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So Kevin Gillespie, um, people know him from Revival. They know him from Gun Show, and of and course, Top you know Chef. Top Chef, yeah. of course. So yeah, his Eastside Beltline restaurant. Slabtown Public House is closing its last day of September 24th. Didn't even last six months, did it? I know, right? Because it was in um, this past spring that they announced that cold beer, which was, it, they had reconcepted it. So right. the previous concept was called cold beer, that that was closing. And so they tried this round, but it didn't even last, yeah, six months. Uh, you know, they, they, they did send us a statement. And really, this is one that's pretty much pandemic. 
induced if you really want to. The statement was, the reality is that many small businesses have closed since 2020, either due directly or indirectly to the economic impacts of COVID-19, and we're simply the latest to do so. Yeah. So I mean, that, how are restaurants doing on the Beltline in general? I mean, you know, I can't say specifically now. I there did are say, quite a few, right? There's yeah. quite a few. Um, recently, when I reviewed, what was the new Jack Mont? Oh, One Flew South. The new right. One Flew South, mm-hmm. which is actually next door to it. What I'm noticing at restaurants, and this is not just the Beltline, is I'm not seeing the same volume or traffic right. as we have in the past when it comes, especially weekdays. So that, know, that may still be a pandemic related people are well, just and also eating now at look home. At, or, we have inflation happening. That's true. So I think and, and restaurant prices are, I mean, it's, it's a more expensive than ever to, to eat out. So I was going to mention, I mean, it's not the only one. We just heard about Todd Richards and, you know, his name is also attached to the One Flew South just because of Jackmont as their director of culinary operations. But his Lake and Oak barbecue in Oakhurst, that closed. Now they are bringing in a different location at the Lee and White development over in West End. But another one that closed, Baffy in West Midtown, that's another big name chef, Jonathan Waxman. They moved Baffy a few years ago. That's been in Atlanta seven years. He also had opened Brezza Cucina in Pont City Market when that first opened. That's closed. So Jonathan Waxman has gone from this market. And that is a well-known chef. So you think about some of these folks. Also, by the way, uh, Dahlia's Chicken Sausage, Marietta Street, shut down. Rusty Nail location in Sandy Springs. Not the original on Buford Highway. Yeah, but, exactly. That, but that would is, be really sad. If right, right. But gone. that's after 40 years. That's closed. But when I think about somebody like Kevin Gillespie, when I think about somebody like Jonathan Waxman, and these are people who are veterans in the restaurant industry, that they are struggling this much, you really have to... And um, they understand food costs. They understand how to handle labor costs. And the cost must be, like you said, through the roof right now across the board. Uh, And especially on the Beltline, you know, consider that rent. But yeah, when I see see these guys who are seasoned veterans um, trying to you know keep their their businesses afloat, yeah. um, and you and you see this happening, I think there I it's not, I don't I didn't say cause for alarm, but there is some concern there. We always there is always going to be a cycle of opening and closing yeah, with sure. restaurants, right? But yeah, this is we're seeing um, the big names. I think is something to keep your because yeah. that means a lot of smaller to. names are closing that we don't even talk about. That's right. right. Yeah, and you have to wonder, and you know, it made me think the reasons for it. I'm wondering if, you know, people just got out of the habit during the pandemic. They just, I know that's the case with me. We used to go out all the time and we just sort of got out of the habit. And even now when, it, you know, it feels a little bit safer, I mean, not completely, but you know, even now, you might it's be a like, little uh, more selective on which places yeah. you go to. Yeah. Yeah. It may like, not be as I adventurous really on just trying new places. Yeah. Well, also, I mean, it is sort of his was a pub. I would say that going out drinking is not something that I've been doing at all. I mean, I might get a drink when I'm, you know, at uh, reviewing a restaurant or something like right. that. But as far as like, oh, let's go out to a club or whatever, that's just mm-hmm. not part of my routine. Yeah. And people more and more, I mean, there is this shift of non-alcoholic drink. So there is a population that is drinking less. And the population is actually in the younger segment 
Mm-hmm. And those are not necessarily, you know, if you're losing some of that too, just right. think about that demographic. If they're not drinking as much, where, you know, where are you making money? Right. So I, I guess we'd have to talk with him about the, you know, the real specifics to, to where yeah. the struggle is. But that would be some of yeah. my guesses. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it's, you know, it's just a, a combination of all those factors. Right. There's, you know, so many pressures on these restaurants to, you know, food costs, the inflation, the, the habits of people. It seems like there's an endless array of complications keeping these places. Yeah, it's from, never easy yeah. to run a restaurant in the no. best of circumstances. Yeah, yeah. No. And it's sad, you know, and it, it, it affects all of us because, you know, we lose some of these options. And I hate that. But what are you going to do? That's right. Well, I guess, you know, the, the what are you going to do is if you have a restaurant that you really want to support, you know, make an effort to to support it. And also, I think at the end of the day, we are going to see closures and it's just part of the the cycle. Right. Yeah. We'll probably be bringing you more uh, news of closings. Hopefully but next week we'll bring we'll bring some happier news. Right. I'll we'll come also, with happy dining news. We'll also talk about openings. We'll talk about there happy things. I promise. So. <laughs> This is Go Atlanta from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, an air freshener can make your car smell like paradise. A drive to Daytona Beach will actually get you there. Beach on. Plan your trip today at DaytonaBeach.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We're back with our special soft launch of the Go Atlanta podcast from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution keeps you informed on the news that matters to you, and now for a limited time, you can get six months of unlimited digital access to the AJC for just 99 cents. Politics, investigations, breaking news, sports, dining, and more for less than a buck. It's our best offer of the year for the best journalism in Atlanta. Go to subscribe.ajc.com podcast to get unlimited digital access for the next six months for just 99 cents. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast so you always know what's really going on. And now we have a special treat from Rodney. Tell us a little bit about what you've got. Uh, On um, September 21st, uh, Florence and the Machine are back in town, and I got to spend some time with Florence Welch by Zoom. Of course, she's out in England, and uh, she's just a fun person to talk to just always full of stories and full of laughter and yeah it's funny she, she does some pretty brooding music but she's a, she's a very cheerful uh interview i must say it's funny i just bought her album and and i haven't gotten dance a chance fever to yes. yeah dance fever I, I've, I've heard a little bit of it but i haven't gotten a chance yeah it's, to it, it, it sounds like she's going to disco but it's not it, it's yeah. it, it you know it's a lot it is some of it is dancey but it, it's very ruminative ruminative is that the right word yeah, yeah. it's she, she's she's a deep thinker. Let's just say that she yeah. she definitely doesn't just you know goof around. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I always liked her music, mostly because 
it feels like she's very much influenced by Kate Bush, and I've always loved Kate Bush. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, um, when I interviewed her, she said she didn't even know about Kate Bush until she was nineteen or twenty, and it right. was it was a cover of a like some punk band had done a cover oh, of right. one of her the songs. Future heads did, yeah. yeah, and that's what how she that was her entry point into Kate yeah. Bush. She didn't even know about them because of her interests were different, right? And that was kind of before her time in the eighties. So it's like shows you she's a little younger than we are. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Well, cool. Well, uh, let's hear from Rodney and uh, Florence Welch of Florence and the Machine uh, talking about her music and her upcoming performance here in Atlanta. Yeah, I don't know what the books are. Are those albums or books behind you? These are records, actually. Those are what? These are records. Oh, those are records. Okay. Yeah, these are all records. So that's High as Hope. There's Lungs. That's Dance Fever. Oh, well, there you go. You have your own work right there. That's good. <laughs> Ta-da! There you go. There's the promo. <laughs> uh, that's very funny. Uh, well, it's funny. When I when I first saw the uh, album title Dance Fever, uh, for some reason, of course, the first thing that came to my head is like the Bee Gees Night Fever or something that <laughs> Dua Lipa might do. So I thought it'd be, oh, she's going disco on us. But uh, probably not, right? It didn't exactly. Not quite, right? <laughs> No, Medieval Plague. <laughs> I know, Medieval Plague, and it was actually a thing. I didn't even know that existed. Was this something you've known about? Um, do you know what? Weirdly, it was... Uh, I found out about it in 2019 from a friend. and Oh, weirdly, right before our actual plague, right? <laughs> just before, just before, and in that, like, I've always been very interested in the prescience of songwriting and in like the, um, the, and I think a lot of art, I've heard other artists talk about it who've been releasing albums around now and people are like, did you write this? This sounds very like pandemic-y. Did you write it in the pandemic? And, And a lot of them are saying, no, it was before. I wrote this before and very interested in like art as a kind of picking up on vibrations of even things that are coming. And the most interesting thing about so yeah, I became really fascinated with this sort of like phenomenon that occurred from like the 14th to the 17th century all over Europe with these outbreaks of this kind of dancing plague. And I became really fixated on it in 2019. Um, and Mania, the song, which is like, a, you know, it, that song is a mix of being kind of about this, um, cor- about this dancing plague phenomenon and my panic attacks and a kind of like, coalescing of the two but in that song which was written in 2019 the refrain is just something's coming something's coming something's coming something's coming and when actually something came it's just like so freaked out and I had to put that song down for a long time uh, totally understandable and obviously uh, some of the songs were actually addressing the pandemic uh, fairly directly right so it's not uh... yeah. yeah yeah well it's weird it's kind of chronological you get to back in town um, where I've arrived to New York in early 2020 to spend three months in New York writing the record mm-hmm. and I have to go home. And so kind of from back in town is the last song that I wrote. before. Gosh, I had you to- were in like um, pandemic central then right before you left. <laughs> it was a very, it's so funny. Like the, um, how crystal clear it is in my mind. I don't know if you have this as well of this, like, month just before the first lockdown scene well my mom died up in new york and i i was right there i was in LaGuardia on march 7th and everything seemed weirdly normal it was like the moment before all hell broke loose you know and i mean 
And yeah, I think also like that must be so to have been already going through a grief and then this enormous amount of like collective grief and how to like, it must like, I feel like it just, those couple of days before I just had to go home are like crystallized in my mind as like this like glittering last moment before the, before something like something happened that changed everything. Yeah, it's like in in those apocalyptic movies that yeah, the, the, the first 15 minutes. (laughs) of the movie before everything goes black that's it I can remember I remember because I remember it was starting to get in conversations on the street I was walking I was walking around New York and in New York you can I don't know if it's the echoes of the buildings and stuff you can hear what everyone's saying right and I was walking past people who were talking about it and I remember I was like going from I'd like was staying in a little apartment and I was walking to Electric Lady every day in that week. And I was walking past people who, and there was these, every, there were these bubbles of this chat about this thing. And, um, and yeah, and I remember the last person I hugged in New York was a, was a fan. And like, um, and like the last stranger I hugged was like a fan in New York. And I was at a coffee shop and they, we just had this hug and I remember the closeness of it and the like, and I remember it so vividly. Like that was the last stranger that I like really embraced in a close way before the lockdown. Wow. Wow. Well, um, you opened the, the album with King uh, that, that kind of addresses some very deep issues, doesn't it? It's, it's not a, you, you didn't start lightly, did you? <laughs> I mean, I'm not known for my. No, you aren't. <laughs> You're not going to Chumbawamba us, are you? No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think that was always like, it was the first song I wrote for this record as well. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You were 33 at the time? I was 33. um, And I was wondering why was I doing this again? (laughs) Like, why was I, I had said after every record, you know, and a lot of the album is this about this compulsion to create and keep moving and to be in perpetual motion. And I had said after Highest Hope, which was a hard record to tour because it was so emotional, that record, it was really like ripped me open in so many ways. And the shows were so good, but it was so open and, um, so it was like the more you give, the more you give, and it. I felt very um, spent. <laughs> spent. Yeah. And I was like, I'm gonna have a huge break, and like maybe I will. And people were like, Oh, well, that's where you probably have a family then, right? After this cycle, you'll like settle down and like have kids. And it's like, yeah, that sounds like a really good plan. That sounds like a very sensible, <laughs> good plan. <laughs> I should do that because it's something I want, you know. Um, right. And there's this uh, pull all the time between practicality and passion and just like what's practical and what's my passion. And as soon as the touring was finished, it was like a fever, like dance fever. I found out about this dancing plague and it was like this album just came rushing at me, like screaming to be made. Just like, no, you are not done. You have to make another record. You have to go back out on the stage. It's like, but I just said I wasn't, and it feels like a kind of out of body compulsion sometimes. So I think King was like 
trying to analyze the push and pull of these desires for stability and these desires to kind of just keep making all the time. And there's that obviously the gender issue where dudes can wait a lot longer to have kids and women, there's that clock ticking issue, unfortunately. And is that why you called it king and not queen? (laughs) Or is there just something Uh, about the power position of king? Yeah, I mean, it was one of those, the funny thing with songs and especially this one, is it knew what it, what, like I, it always comes at a time where I think I'll never write anything again. Like maybe after a tour, I'm really spent and I'm so hard on myself and I'm actually not the most prolific writer. It comes in fits and starts. Often I've never sat down and like wrote every day in a notebook. I wish that I could. It will just kind of like usually come while I'm doing something completely different. And this was a song that revived to me, just fully formed. It knew what it was end to end, like verse, chorus, everything wow. within about 10 minutes um, with like only a bit of editing. And I think the word, it was like, I think King was like, as a live performer, I've almost exclusively modeled myself on male performers. Yes. Um, what, what, like Iggy Pop or Mick Jagger or something? Iggy Pop, Mick Jagger, like Nick Cave, like that. And for someone who people would perceive as such a sort of like feminine aesthetic and, you know, I actually, the, if you come and see me live, there's a masculinity to it that's really inherent. And I think I'd never really even like felt like my gender came into it. Like being like right. a woman didn't make sense to me. I, like if people were like, oh, what's it like to be a female headliner? I was like, I don't know. Like, I don't even know what I'm doing, particularly gendered. Like I wouldn't think about it that way. And I think it was the first time that I'd ever felt my gender kind of come to meet me and the anger of that and the frustration of now seeing that my, the idols of my, like my live idols could kind of carry on um, without, these time pressures or without these sort of like limitations on their body and it's a kind of wanting to be like no I like to bring it back being like I am king like yeah that frustration really comes out toward the end of the song (laughs) (laughs) the scream you know um and I also think it was a take on um you know I think I wanted I was getting, yeah, I was like interested. It was always like the king of this and the king of that or the king of this style. And I was like, what about, I I can't I be king? And um, I was very interested in like the ascribed tragedy, not only of ascribed tragedy of like rock and roll lineage and also the ascribed, the tragedy that is ascribed to unmarried and childless women naturally like an air of tragedy and so it was just trying to play with all of these things in a song yeah I think it worked really well um thank you (laughs) well what are you looking forward to most and I guess you've started touring already with the new album in Europe um how how has it been like just getting back on stage and you know seeing people's faces without masks (laughs) it's been so amazing actually I really like it took me a while to process that it was actually happening like the first couple of shows I think I was a little bit in shock like I like my first show I just got up like forgot all the words to everything it was like processing being like room with that and I can hold a lot of lyrics in my head I don't usually like forget things um 
And that's like the one thing I can remember. I can't you, remember. You just start scared. What do you do when you forget a lyric? Do you just, uh, what, what's kind of your go-to place? I try and get the fans to tell me what it is. <laughs> <laughs> just stick, stick the mic out. There you go. <laughs> I'm like, tell me what this is supposed to be. <laughs> like, and then, uh, um, but I don't usually like, I can't remember names or keep where my keys are or where my phone is or anything or like but lyrics I can always remember so but I think the first gig back I was kind of in shock because it was happening and I actually almost had to let go just to survive of the idea that live performance was coming back um where where were you which what was the first where were you in the for the first concert uh I was um I was in England and it was a small show um outside of London and so it was like a tiny theater full of people and um and it was amazing but I was kind of just like in shock I think for the majority of it now since like I've thought out a bit and we're getting into festivals it's just so beautiful I can't even like, I want to cry thinking about it just because people are so hungry to be connected and to be with each other. And really, the crowd makes the show. Like, you can do what you do. The crowd makes a good show. It's all, like, every time that you do a great show, it's always because it was a great crowd. Like, you is can do Is the dynamic you- any different than it was before the pandemic at this point? Or is there any sense that you're, any energy that's, that's different? I haven't felt... Um, I haven't felt that it's different in the festivals. If anything, people are even more open than they was before. Mm -hmm. It's like people's, I feel like people's emotions and and vulnerabilities are so much more on the surface now, even if they wouldn't realize it about themselves. And just physical touch as well. Like I have been, I was not like, we were just trying to get through the album rollout. So, and everyone was like, you can't catch COVID. We have to just get through the album row. Like, please, like, don't touch people. And that was so hard for me to not, like, I'm such are, a physical... You're, are, you're a pretty touchy-feely person. Okay. I'm such a physical performer. And actually, now that we're through the album roll out, people are like, okay, we don't care. Do what you want. <laughs> do what you want. No. Do, do, so do you I'm, like... Uh, yeah, so during a concert, are you the type who, who does get in the crowd a little bit or at least... Uh, yeah, so yeah. now I've actually been able to because I, I really love to break barriers in my performance and it never feels right to me if I'm just on the stage the whole time. Like really, I like to get as close to people as, as possible. And I have been able to get down there and to just even like for the first, like holding someone's hand, it's just never felt more important and special. And so it is, it's been so, so magical, especially now that I feel like there is more, freedom to, for me to just be the performer that I am, which is incredibly physical and like right in there in the crowd. Well, hopefully by the time you come to Atlanta, you'll be fully, uh, you'll, you'll be right in the groove, right? I'm getting closer and closer to being just like in the middle of the crowd with all of them. I hope I can make it to the show in, in September. Over here. the barrier, right in the middle, <laughs> dancing with everyone. Like that's what I want. <laughs> True dance fever. Well, well, thank you, Flo, so much for your time. I hope um, you know. I hope the rest of the summer goes well for you, and um, you too. and uh, appreciate the time. No worries. Bye. Well, that was a great interview, Rodney. Thank you very much. All right. So uh, now it's time for this week's adoptable pet from the folks at Lifeline, who run the Fulton Indy Cab Shelters, along with the Lifeline Community Animal Center. 
Shelter staff and volunteers have fallen hard for Bishop. This three-year-old gray cutie with white speckled socks is ready to take on the world with you. Bishop loves to explore the outdoors and play with her toys. Strangers won't be strangers for long. She makes friends with everyone she meets and would love to be your new sidekick. To learn more about Bishop, visit the link on the story page for this podcast or head to the Fulton County Animal Services Shelter at 860 Marietta Boulevard in Atlanta. And you'll also find a photo of Bishop on the aforementioned story page on AJC.com. Thanks for listening to our soft launch of the new Go Atlanta podcast. Beginning September 29th, we'll release new episodes every Thursday morning to keep you in the loop of all the great things happening in and around Atlanta. So be sure to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more things to do in and around Atlanta, go to AJC.com. Along with Rodney Ho, LaGaia Figueres, I'm Shane Harrison, and we can't wait to be with you again starting on September 29th. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.